Hello, and welcome to the Retirement Repair Shop, brought to you by Realized. I'm your host, Mary Beth Franklin. This podcast series focuses on retirement challenges and ways to get your finances back on track. With me today is Suzanne Norman, a Senior Education Advisor with the Alliance for Lifetime Income. Suzanne has nearly 30 years of investment industry experience with a focus on helping people plan for and save for retirement. She is passionate about helping women develop strong financial skills and is also a certified life coach. Suzanne, let's talk about women and money and why financial advisors may want to hone their communication skills to service this large and growing market of female investors. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mary Beth. Great to be here. You've written a really interesting paper on women's financial wellness that's published on the Alliance for Lifetime Income website. And you talk about values and life purpose. What does this have to do with money and particularly money and women? That's a great question. And the way I look at it many times is money is a means to an end for most people. And when we look at what drives well-being and satisfaction in life. It's, it's helping people get very connected to their values and what, what they want to be doing with their life. And when we think about the investment industry, oftentimes it's sort of the cart before the horse with that paradigm, meaning it's all about sort of making the money and investing, but not necessarily checking in to know all the time what someone values and certainly what their goals are. And I think the industry has done a great job in the last 10 to 20 years of incorporating planning with the investor experience. But women in particular, we know, are driven by their values and tend to be highly satisfied when they're working with an advisor and they're connected to them and also having that clear path to what their goals are. And it also seems over the decades and particularly going forward, women control a lot of money. But they often have not had the best relationship with the financial advisory community. Why is this so important for advisors to wake up and say, hey, there's a big market with a lot of money out there, and maybe I need to do things differently? Great question. And I think what's so exciting about this aspect of our conversation is the power, financial power that women are coming into. So when we think about it, you know, we certainly are the majority of the population, certainly in the United States. But when you start thinking about the money that we're controlling, these numbers are just mind blowing. You've got 48% of U.S. millionaires are women. They have um, over 600,000, about 40% of them in investable assets. They're actually spending close to $32 trillion each year, having that purse string control. And then when we start thinking about this kind of transfer of wealth, the intergenerational transfer of wealth in the next three to five years, women are expected to actually inherit over $30 trillion. So it's just, it's, it's incredibly important for women to educate themselves, but also as, our, as we're sort of talking about here, the advisor community recognizing what's happening there. And the sad part is that the, community, the advisor community hasn't always, from surveys that we see, necessarily connected to their female clients as well as they could. 
And some of it might be the fact that you've got a imbalance where you and I have been in this industry a long time and we see still the persistency of only about two out of 10 financial professionals are women. So it doesn't mean that as a male advisor, you can't serve the female community, but it does sort of speak to what are some of the elements that women are telling us are missing in some of the relationships and why they leave. Your advisors. And that is a very good point. We are certainly not suggesting that male financial advisors can't be a trusted advisor to a woman, but some things are a little different. You alluded to the language of finance. Why is this a challenge for a lot of women, particularly women new to investing? And how can advisors improve on that form of communication? Yeah, I, I think that's so critical. And in, in the paper you referenced, Mary Beth, one of the visuals that I use, and I talk about, I've talked about this a lot in presentations over the years, is that we're not the only industry that has complex jargon, but it's very exclusionary, right? Meaning it's another language. And so great financial professionals have learned this over, over the decades, which is if you can be a translator and make something more simple and easy to understand and clear, you, you win the game. I also think connecting to the meaning. So that's always the last part of the puzzle that I always mention is that, you know, it's one thing to translate complexity to something simple, but how are you connecting to the client and the meaning? And so we've talked a little bit about the values and, and you know, having a life purpose and the goals. But one of the other things that I, I kind of hear a lot about and research a lot, of course, I have a degree in psychology, I can't help myself, is that emotional intelligence. And so one of the things I think women do have, and we've seen in studies, have sort of a natural ability in that empathy, but it's certainly something that can be learned. So those, those are the big takeaways that I often share with, with financial advisors is make sure you're translating and connecting to what's, what's important to someone, but additionally be listening um, for those cues because I don't know that everyone's necessarily meeting the female investor where she is, especially if she's in it right now. And the traditional maybe male, female, but it could be, you know, a, a female, female couple. But the point is, are you talking to her? Are you including her in those meetings? Well, you talked about the incredible consumer purchasing power of women, I think over $31 trillion you mentioned. Is there a way for women to take those very sophisticated consumer buying skills and translate it to financial services? How do women become sophisticated consumers when they're looking for a financial advisor? Well, it's, it's a big topic in, on my mind as well, related to the dearth of financial literacy education. So this goes for men and women. So we've got a big gap. We've got a problem in this country. I think there are a lot of people that are definitely trying to address this, but the fact remains that only 21 states actually require a course in personal finance to graduate high school. And, and most of them aren't even testing for this. So this is, this is a challenge that I think speaks to the bigger, bigger issue that's facing women. But if you come at it from a standpoint of these skills can be learned, there are definitely a lot of outlets available to women out there. So maybe they didn't get it in school. They may not have gotten it from their families, but there are a lot of organizations that are helping with financial literacy skills. I think this tech era has been just a boon for watching, you know, kind of YouTube, how to do it. Um, you know, TikTok is out there as well. So 
there are a lot of ways I think women can, can demystify this, this industry so that, as you mentioned before, they're already really good consumers, right? So just learning some of the language skills, I think those women that are actually in a, in a work environment where they have the ability to contribute to a, a savings account, maybe like a 401k or a 403b in their, in their working situation, there are a lot of financial wellness education programs that have been put on in the last few years that I think is making it lowering the barrier um, of entry and, and recognizing, again, that this investment world, and I mentioned this in the paper, is really like any other consumable. Once you kind of learn how to do the comparison shopping, so to speak, and recognizing what, you know, going back to goals and values, you know, what, what drives you but also then learning some of the key elements so that you have the ability to make some good decisions. In your paper, you note that there's basically two ways to approach finances. One is sort of a do-it-yourself system. And you mentioned there's YouTube, there's all sorts of uh, uh, education programs available through your community, um, online, whatever. And then there's the option of working with a financial advisor. Putting on that um, consumer hat, how would you advise women to interview a financial advisor to find the right person for them? What should they be looking for in an advisor? I think it's it's such a it's such a good question, and it's always sort of you know you have to speak in generality. So I'm kind of couching it a little bit. But one of the things that surveys will tell us is that women really are interested in working with financial professionals. So if you haven't necessarily skilled yourself up to a DIY type choice. The financial advisor or community is one where you certainly would want to look for someone with experience, but I also think that interviewing, trust your gut, right? So if, if this person is connecting with you, is asking you the right questions about what your goals are, what your values are, I think that's probably one of the early signals to me that that's an advisor that's interested in working with somebody beyond just the investment expertise, because Unfortunately, good or bad, we've entered an era where everything's very commoditized. So an advisor that, that perhaps you're meeting that says, I am going to beat the benchmark every year, probably not necessarily someone who's really keyed into you as a person, right? So it's more kind of performance-based versus looking at the, the individual. So that would be my first thing that I would, I would recommend a woman you know, meeting and interviewing is really, how is this person engaging with me? How are they listening to me? And I think it's also important that people actually follow a formal plan. And again, surveys are telling us time and again that only about two out of 10 people are following a formal financial plan. So there are advisors out there that have earned the certified financial planning designation. It doesn't necessarily mean an advisor without the designation can't be planning based. But one of the things that I would think is a good signal in an interview is someone who actually wants to do a formal plan with you. As you have mentioned, this goes so far beyond just investment planning. Uh, women tend to be goal oriented into, uh, am I going to have enough money for the rest of my life? Am I going to be able to help my children or grandchildren go to college? Uh, can I afford to maybe buy that second home someday? Those are the goals and money fuels the goals, but women tend to be driven by the goals themselves. Sometimes they need help figuring out how to get from here to there. There's the goal. That's why I want to do it. 
Now you have to help me as my financial advisor of showing me how. I would say that during the pandemic, the financial services industry, which has not really been known for embracing technology in the past, was thrown in it uh, like so many other industries where they were working remotely. And many advisors I talked to said they found a better connection to their existing clients through Zoom type meetings. When uh, they used to try to schedule meetings with a very busy husband and wife in the past, and often the husband could come, but maybe the wife was busy ferrying the kids around, they suddenly had two people stuck at home at the same time that could attend those meetings. That was, hey, score, one for financial literacy and communications. How can advisors build on that kind of technology to not only service their existing clients, but maybe attract new clients with this open communication? I think it's, it's, it's such a good point, Mary Beth, because it really has had so many positive impacts with people's accessibility, right? Because we talk about these barriers and you were talking about kind of time management barriers, right? Um, I think some of the restrictions of the bigger firms will, will prevent a lot of creativity, but, a, but some good friends of mine have actually really embraced video tutorials. And so there's been an ability for them to, you know, kind of have that amplification. So they're reaching, you know, I have one good friend in Boston, in fact, who's done incredibly well with this, where she's created these videos and it's created an amazing referral network. It also lets people pick the tires, right? So, you know, in this case, Mary Beth is out there describing, you know, what Mary Beth cares about, you know, what Mary Beth's business is about, some successes, probably anonymized, but some successes that you've had or challenges, right? Because one of my early mentors in the business said, you know, if I have to describe myself at the proverbial cocktail party, I'm a problem solver. I'm not a, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm a problem solver. People come to me with problems. Um, so anyway, I think video, to your point, um, gives, gives a lot of, of uh, opportunity to amplify your message to more and more people. I, I would like to go back and mention something, because when you said pandemic, it made me realize one of the other key elements when I, I do, and I wrote another paper with some colleagues about women's health uh, or healthcare needs and costs. When you're interviewed as a woman, when you're interviewing a financial advisor, I would really, really um, struggle to defend an advisor who did not talk about the additional healthcare costs that women will face in retirement. Realize strives to put you in control of managing your investment property wealth. Their goal is to help bridge the gap between investment property ownership and sophisticated wealth management, helping you meet your income needs in retirement and pursue your investment goals across generations. Using the principles of investment property wealth management, Realize transforms individual investment properties into diversified real estate portfolios, customized based on income needs approaching retirement, risk appetite, and investment goals. By evaluating your current investment assets and determining what your long-term strategy is for wealth management, their team of advisors can create a unique investment plan for you or your clients. Visit them at www.realize1031.com slash repair shop to learn more about Realized and the tools they use to help their clients overcome retirement income challenges. Let's talk about some of the 
unique challenges that women face in terms of longevity and uh, perhaps having lower average lifetime earnings than men, and yet they need to save for retirement that's likely to last longer than men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think this will probably not come as a big surprise. Obviously, there is still a gender pay gap out there. Women take more time out to take care of children, aging parents. So, you know, these lost earnings years, they, some of the surveys will tell us that women tend to work about 75% of the years. Um, and those are women that work. Clearly, there are some women that do not. So the challenge is that we don't necessarily have as much money to earn on that money. And therefore, you know, with the longevity challenges that we have, we're already kind of set up for, for some, you know, additional problems. But then you add in this healthcare cost because we will live longer. And the joke is, of course, always the longer you live, the longer you live, right? Mm -hmm. And when you see these centenarian numbers, it's, it's still shocking to me. But for every hundred centenarian women, there are only 20.7 centenarian men. So again, not a huge part of our population, but just something to really kind of think about. One of the, the aspects of healthcare that people often think or don't think about, but, you know, as, as you know, you reach 65 and you get into Medicare, you know, people just kind of think, oh, you know, I've got, I've got this coverage and, and the out-of-pocket expenses. If you're a 45-year-old woman today expecting to retire at 65, you will be spending over 250000 in out-of-pocket costs in retirement. And that is so important to raise that issue because a lot of pre-retirees go into retirement thinking Medicare is going to cover everything. And while Medicare is a wonderful source of payment for some healthcare bills, there's certainly a lot of out-of-pocket that has to be planned for. And as you pointed out, women are likely to live a lot longer than men, meaning that so many of them are going to be on their own at the end of their lives, making these financial decisions. Now, you're affiliated with the Alliance for Lifetime Income. Talk a little bit about that and why guaranteed income is so critical to women. Yeah, the Alliance for Lifetime Income is really an interesting group. They were formed as a not-for-profit back in 2018 um, as a um, kind of a, a combination of the insurance industry and the investment industry saying that people needed to be better educated because of our financial literacy gaps. Um, and so the work that the Alliance has been doing is actually a lot to directly to the consumer. So there is work being done with the financial advisor community, of course, not, not connected commercially, but the Alliance has really wanted to educate consumers, men and women, about the benefits of having a guaranteed income stream. Because as you and I both know, and you've written extensively about this, you know, we've got social security, right? So that, that's our you know, guaranteed income stream as long as we're paid into it. And then we've got um, uh, pensions, some of us, but many of us don't. I mean, the percentage is, is pretty, pretty small, at least in the private sector. So when you look at the essential expenses that you have in retirement, if you're trying to scope what that looks like, the annuity investment allows for you to purchase off the shelf. So we talked about consumers before, right? So this is an off the shelf kind of investment product where you're able to fill in that gap if you have one because people want to know that their essential expenses are taken care of in retirement, especially. And then we get to the, to the needs, or excuse me, beyond the needs, we get to the wants. So what, what are those trips that we want to take? 
you know, what are those things we want to do for our grandchildren? And, and so this is, this is um, messaging from the Alliance that's helping people understand how they work. And does the Alliance have any metrics at this point? Is the message getting through? It, it, it is. There are, there are a number of surveys that have been conducted by the Alliance. Um, and what I think is really interesting is the actual billions and billions of media impressions that have been, been received by the consumer and the engagement that the consumer is having on the website, which is protectedincome.org. And one of the things that I, I know we discussed last month was that for the second time, the Alliance for Lifetime Income is actually the sole sponsor or was the sole sponsor for the Rolling Stones tour. <laughs> and tell us, I mean, this is such a great image. You, know, you and I have joked that at this point, the average age of the Rolling Stones is higher than the average age of the Supreme Court. So why are they the the image, the face of protected income. Mm -hmm. I, it, and I giggle when I talk about it because it does not seem to make any sense because as um, uh, we, uh, the Alliance put out uh, uh, Rolling Stone's seven tips for living a full life. And, and it's a great piece. It's on the public website. But the point is that, as you mentioned, their ages, you know, we've aged along with them, but they're living the life that they want to live. And, you know, we talk a lot about the values that they have, but the point is that they actually really represent this cohort of people. And what an amazing thing to see Mick Jagger up on stage doing his thing. And, you know, as we wrote in the paper, you know, he never thought he'd be doing that. But the fact that, that you know, he's kept himself healthy and they have this sense of connection, you know, and that's another thing we didn't talk a lot about with the values and the life purpose, but you know, that sense of connection to people is so critical. But the point is, they really are the poster child for how a lot of people would love to be living <laughs> that vital. Well, I can count myself among the big Rolling Stones fans, and I have seen them in person, and they are absolutely amazing. Let's talk a little bit more about this idea of living with purpose and value, and how when you take away some of the worries about running out of money leaves you more headspace to think about what you want to do and how you want to do it. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really, when you think about, again, money as a means to an end, it can also be terrifying. I mean, one of the other stats that, you know, I talk about in, um, in this paper is when you start thinking about the impact of aging without having that security. Because security is, and we've done this research, and that, that's a big word, right? That people really, it resonates with people, especially when they think about this phase of life. But when you look at the fact that you've got women that when they are aging, we say 80% um, of women are more likely to be impoverished when they're 65 or older than men. And so, you know, having that, that security that's built in so that things are, the essentials are covered, and then you're able to have that hopefully, you know, extra income, but, you know, projections are very important as well. And I, I would mention that on the Alliance for Lifetime Income, there's what we call the RISE score, and that's the Retirement Income Security Evaluation Score. So anyone who hasn't looked to see kind of how's my income looking in retirement. It's not a formal plan, but it's a way for you to gauge, you know, will my income last? Um, I encourage people to go get their rise score. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit more. What's involved? What sort of questions uh, would someone be expected to, to answer? And what does the score mean? 
Yeah, it's it's really just trying to measure that persistency of your income. So what it's going to look like is a credit score. So it's from zero to eight fifty, and it takes only a few minutes for people to enter about five or six, you know, inputs. It's, it's anonymized, but you have the ability to talk about what kind of income you have right now, or income in retirement, when you want to retire. Obviously, it will be gender specific. Women live longer, <laughs> statistically. Um, and then obviously you'll put in, you know, what you expect you'll be spending in retirement. So there aren't that many inputs, but it will give you sort of a, a, a temperature, if you will, of, you know, am I on track or do I need some help? And as with everything that the Alliance for Lifetime Income produces, everything is geared towards someone getting a professional advisor involved. So it will always kind of recommend that, you know, once you get your score, yes, if you want to DIY, of course you can, but the, the emphasis is typically to go talk to an expert in retirement planning. And I believe the Alliance website also has a lot of other resources like financial checklists, et cetera. Can anybody download this information and, and can advisors use it to maybe send some helpful information to their clients? They, there are lots of tools, Mary Beth. So there is, um, as you mentioned, there are a number of checklists, how to find a financial advisor, we have a checklist on women. I put together a checklist in this recent paper. There's also a wellness tool that was just launched on the website, which goes beyond just kind of, you know, investments and planning. It will talk about durable power of attorney. So you've got a lot of aspects of your financial life that, that go beyond, again, just selecting what investments should I own. Um, so there's another score uh, in there, or at least a, a tool that people can use on your financial personality which I always think is really interesting because it will let you know kind of what type of investor and planner are. You. Tell me a little bit about that. I want to find out what kind of investor I am. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, you could be, a, you, you'll, you'll, you know, again, just a couple of uh, minutes of inputs and you'll find out, you know, maybe you're a cautious preparer. And what's great about any of these tools that have been put together is, again, there's an output piece that, that's generated for you. So we'll kind of discuss who, you know, who you are or where you are. And again, let you do that yourself or take it to a financial professional. Suzanne, we often hear that women are not very confident investors. Is that true? And if so, what can they do to improve their confidence? I hear that and read that a lot, Mary Beth. And, and my perspective on that has been, has been changing um, because I think if we look at it just at the, you know, kind of the, the you know, the summary some of the, the research will support it, but I think if we go a little bit deeper, there's, there's something there for women to know, which is I re report on this study that uh, the University of Warwick did out of the United Kingdom a couple of years ago, and they tracked women and men over a few years over a pretty basic investment, but essentially women outperform men by 1.8%, and that's significant. And so one of the things I like to really amplify for women is the fact that you may not have necessarily had a lot of invest investing experience, but when you do focus on this, some of the habits that we see women have as investors can really serve them. And some of this is coming back to behavioral finance, but the point is that when that study in particular tried to tease out, you know, where, how did this outperformance happen? What they noticed is women were choosing less speculative stocks, so not so much following the hot dot. They had a long-term perspective. So we've talked about values and, and life purpose and goals. So that, that feeds into that. They traded less frequently. 
And we see this in a lot of studies where men, you know, are trading very frequently. And you and I both know that, you know, can contribute, you know, very much to that whole buy high, sell low, but also your taxes, your trading fees. So the point is that I want to instill a sense of confidence for women. And the other thing that I would just reflect on is the fact that when um, FINRA does a study every every three years, they'll track you know people's confidence, right? Self-reported confidence. And yes, men always have this you know kind of last report was seventy one percent, so they were very confident, high high investment knowledge, and only fifty four percent of women reported that. But when you actually look at the scores on a gender basis, there wasn't a big difference between answering it correctly, answered incorrectly. Women also, in fact, said, I don't know, almost two times as much as men. And I'll finish with just um, um, someone I'm, I'm following these days that I really think has, has, is on to something. That's Barbara Stewart. And she does rich thinking research on women. And she's helped me with some phraseology, which is her question and what she's found is women are always kind of tagged as risk averse. But what she's finding is if we if we make that question broader versus willing to take risk, not willing to take risk, and include risk awareness, it really comes back to, you know, I want to instill into women's concept of investing that you can do this. And, and we've seen a lot of positive results. Well, Suzanne, I want to thank you for giving us all these resources, both for consumers and for financial advisors to um, help the process of breaking down the jargon and making investing a little less intimidating and um, more connected to the why people want to save for their future. And this gives them the how to do it. So thank you on behalf of the Retirement Repair Shop brought to you by Realized. And thank you, Suzanne Norman, for helping women all over get in touch with their values and figuring out how to put their money where their mouth is. Thanks, Mary Beth. Money, money, money.